Well, today we are going to um, continue uh, our little study of the beginning of the Bible, and uh, that is in the uh, book of uh, Breshit, the uh, book of Genesis. Okay, and if you remember uh, from last time, we talked a lot about the purpose of Genesis and what's going on there, and uh, and the fact is, is just to reiterate a couple of things, you know, we want to remember that um, when we're reading the beginning of Genesis, we're reading, in, in a sense, an introduction to the entire Bible, right? We're reading an introduction to the entire Bible. It's not just uh, to gain insight into how the world came to be, uh, but it serves as an introduction to the whole Bible and an introduction, of course, to the re- I should say it like this, an introduction to, the, to Genesis, an introduction to the Torah, uh, an introduction to the Tanakh, an introduction to the entire scriptures, including the New, including the new Covenant. Uh, it is a, 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 a book uh, that um, provides uh, uh, for us an understanding of why the world is the way it is, of why, uh, you know, if there is a God, why, and then you can, you can uh, you know, fill in the blank. And the answers for that are generally found in, in the book of Breshit. Why God created a man in the first place is in, in here. Why uh, God called out Abraham, that's here. What the purposes of Israel, the Jewish people, is, uh, is here. Uh, and then uh, how Israel ended up in Egypt, sort of a little bit more of a temporal uh, uh, reason for it, uh, how the Jewish people ended up in Egypt is, um, is here. And like we said last time, when you read the book of Genesis, uh, recognize that the majority of the book is about uh, the formation of the children of Israel. Uh, and so chapters 1 to 11 in a way, are an introduction to, to that. Uh, chapters 1 to 11 is not about the purpose of the book. The purpose of Genesis is not to figure out creation. Uh, the purpose of the creation story is, in a sense, to help us understand who is this God who is the God of Israel. See, uh, and, uh, and when we think about the occasion of, writing, of its writing, it was written to the Jewish people uh, sometime after the, uh, the, the great debacle of faith when uh, the children of Israel would not uh, enter the land and God judged them to spend uh, a total of uh, 40 years in the wilderness. Sometime during that period of time, uh, before Moses' death, so it had to be sometime before the children of Israel enter the land could be around the time of the plains of Moab, like when, when Deuteronomy is being uh, uh, written uh, as, the, as the Jewish people are preparing to enter the land. Uh, and they needed to understand who is this invisible God that, that uh, Moses, uh, in a sense, that Moses keeps talking about. Uh, who is this invisible God that we have experienced? Uh, and uh, why are we entering the land? We'll see that actually you can make a case that the uh, reason for uh, entering the land and judging the Canaanites is actually in the book of Genesis. 
and so what you have uh, here uh, is the backstory. You know, so the entire book of Genesis is how we got to Egypt. And the people who are hearing it for the first time, or we could say then the implied readers, we could call it that, are people who, uh, whose parents had been in Egypt. And it was hundreds and hundreds of years uh, since before Egypt. So their identity, which is a whole other story for the book of Exodus, uh, their identity was we came out of Egypt. Our family is Egyptian. We're Hebrews. We're different, but that's where we come from. It was hundreds of years before the people who first heard these words. It was hundreds of years uh, when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived. And so they, had, they, they are hearing these stories and they needed to understand what is their calling? Why is their calling? And, and all of that comes uh, from uh, Breshit, from Genesis. And in the beginning of the book, uh, what we learn more than anything else is about who God is. Who is their deity? Who is Elohim? Uh, and... Uh, and that is huge. So what we uh, learned last time, we were talking about verse uh, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Um, uh, so what do we learn here? Uh, the God of Israel is, uh, is the God who made everything, right? Uh, uh, we, uh, we learn here that Ultimately, in the first few chapters, not in just the beginning here, is uh, that uh, people, human beings, are to live in a land ruled by uh, a god. And land is where people uh, play a remarkable role in God's relationship uh, to man. And we learn that there's a specific place for man to dwell with God. And we learn that rebellion means exile and blessing means living in the land. That's what we get in the first few chapters of, uh, of the uh, creation story. But at the very beginning, in the beginning, God created the, the uh, heavens and the earth. What we said last time is that the word beginning uh, is speaking not so much about uh, uh, with an emphasis of origin as it is an emphasis of the starting place. Like this is where it all started. You, you might say, when you go back to the beginning. The phrase bereshit, in the beginning, is used oftentimes in the Bible, not of a specific day and time and moment, but of like the beginning of the reign of king so-and-so. When he started to be king, this is what he did. And that is, in a way, what, uh, what you have here. And you know, it is, uh, I didn't really think about it, but it requires a little more study that you do see this phrase in the beginning in relationship to kings. Uh, in the beginning of King so-and-so's reign, in the beginning of another king's reign, you see it uh, more than once in that context. And so I guess we could say there's an echo or there's a shadow or a type here of, of in the beginning of God's kingship. Uh, uh, to be a king, there must be a place of of uh, that you're the king over and people uh, that you are that there is a, a kingdom, right? So that's kind of interesting. 
Uh, and, uh, and so in the beginning is speaking about the start of the story. Its purpose is not to look for a point of origin, but that there is indeed a, a future. Now, there's something interesting about Genesis in this regard. At the end of the book, in fact, in this week's Torah portion, and I wrote about it in the Darash, if you had an opportunity to look at it, in, uh, in, in chapter 49, it's interesting. It's just, just an interesting observation. At the beginning of chapter 49, it says, Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Assemble yourselves that I may tell you what shall befall you. Uh, now, here um, uh, in the version that I have, days, days to come. But literally, it's the end of days. And maybe your translation says that, the end of days. So it is interesting that you have, at the beginning of the book, in the beginning, the start of everything, uh, and then you have uh, in chapter 49, which is really the conclusion of the, of the story, the, um, uh, the end of days and what shall be. And that what you see in chapter 49, the, the high point of chapter 49 is that there's going to be a king. Uh, uh, who's going to come from Judah, and kings will, uh, the, the king will be over his uh, brothers, and they'll be looking for a time whose kingdom is coming, one might say. It's another story. We're not, <laughs> we're not in chapter 49, uh, but that, of course, is speaking indeed of the, uh, of the Messiah. Uh, and so this start at the beginning, what did God do at the beginning? Okay. Uh, at the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. Now, of course, we can't just pass by the word God here. Uh, there is, um, there's nothing here that insinuates that there are other gods or cosmic wars that result in the creation of man, but it begins with the one and only God. He is, he is there, and that is radical. Other uh, Mesopotamian uh, creation stories do not begin this way, but here God is assumed. God uh, is not created. Uh, there is not a vying for power. Uh, Elohim is sovereign. He is the one who creates uh, heaven and earth. Heaven and earth is a euphemism for everything. Uh, he created uh, everything. Heaven and earth, if we had uh, you know, uh, more time uh, to look at this, when you read the word heavens by themselves or you read the word earth by itself, they mean different things. But when you see them together, heaven and earth, uh, it means everything. And so that is a great statement. In the beginning, God created everything. Uh, he is the creator, the originator. Before anything else, uh, there is God. Now, I'll say this. The word beginning also implies uh, that there's time. That's kind of interesting, that there's time. Uh, you don't read here where it says, and before there was time, this is what God did. We know that God knows everything. That's quite clear. We know that, you know, he knows the beginning from the end uh, and, and so on. But we don't read about other worlds uh, or all the kinds of things God did before time and before uh, he, uh, he created by using the word beginning, time is implied to have a beginning, uh, a starting point, and, and again, uh, that there's a future. Now, this implies uh, certain things that we'll see unfold 
uh, even in the next few verses. One thing that this means is that before there was anything, we could say that God was limitless. Just limitless, okay? But once he creates, something happens. It, it, it really talks much about the love of God for this creation by the fact that he, that he created. Because in creating, okay, he actually places limits on himself. He places limits on himself. Now, we know this more from when we're uh, in the Brit Harashah, the New Covenant, and we're talking about Yeshua and, uh, and how in the incarnation of God, he, he limited himself and placed himself at the uh, mercy, in quotes, you know, of humanity, right? And suffered pain and sorrow and death and, and, uh, and all of that. We read that in many places in the Brit Harashah. But even in the very creation of mankind, God places limits on himself. He becomes part of the story. He's not above the story in the sense that uh, he doesn't relate. God walks in the Garden of Eden. He doesn't just look down on it. He lives in it. God uh, uh, has conversations with people. He makes covenants. He makes unconditional promises to imperfect people that he must keep. He must forgive. He must interact with this, with this creation. See? And so we, it, it, is a, it is an amazing fact of his love that he even made, that he even created. That he even created. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and, of, and of course, we see here that, uh, you know, he made, uh, he made everything. There's nothing that he did not make. Nothing is outside of the purview uh, of God. Okay? All right. So that in and of itself uh, uh, tells us that God, uh, there, there's nothing outside of his realm. There's nothing outside of his kingship, we could say. He created a place. He created a world. Uh, and he ultimately... Uh, is the sovereign, uh, the sovereign of it. And so in a way, that guides everything else that we would ever say uh, uh, about God or about this world, okay? But there's more. Now, verse 2. And the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Okay. Now, there's a, some big questions here, right? When it says here, and the uh, earth was formless and void, uh, the question becomes, what is, what is he speaking about earth? And what does formless mean? And what does void mean? And what are we talking about the surface of the deep? The whole thing. What are we talking about? Right? Okay. Well, first of all, earth is aretz. Aretz. And in the other about 99% of the Bible, it's translated land, land, okay? Uh, and so I, I, I think it's important, whether we view it at, whether we view this word to mean uh, the entire surface of the world, that's fine and dandy, but one, one picture we probably uh, uh, should not have is the globe, like the name of the planet, okay? Uh, that's probably not what 
uh, the readers understood, or when Moses wrote it down, what, what he was thinking. But the surface, you know, formless and void. Now, formless and void is frankly a traditional translation. It's a traditional translation. And uh, there are other places in the Bible uh, where you read uh, the word tohu. It's a famous phrase, formless and void, tohu vabohu, tohu vabohu. It rhymes. And, uh, and it rhymes on purpose, okay, to help us uh, to, re to remember it. And the word tohu is used in, by itself in a variety of verses. Uh, I'll name a few of them. 1 Samuel 12, 21, Isaiah 24, 10, Isaiah 34, 11. And they all describe, they all use words like futile, desolation, chaos, uh, words like that. But this is where, this is a good example of the etymology of a word is not always the most important thing to know about it. In other words, how is a word used? That is the most important uh, thing. How is this word used uh, in the Bible? Because chaos can mean something very different than desolation, and desolation can mean something very different than futile. But one thing that all these contexts have in common is that it's talking about a place that is not inhabitable, using different words to describe it. And in each one of these contexts, it has to do with uh, places being judged not being, and, and therefore no longer being able to, people being able to live there, okay? But there is one place in the Bible where you have this phrase, tohu vabohu. Now, for those of you that like these things, I'll tell you, bohu isn't used anywhere outside of tohu. So it's, um, it sort of means the same, it means basically the same thing, okay? It's just a different prefix on the word. It's just a little bit different. Um, but only in one place, in Jeremiah chapter 4, do you see this phrase. In Jeremiah 4.23, okay? So in Jeremiah chapter 4, in verse 23, here, this whole chapter is about the desolation of the land because of judgment. Okay, it's not talking about the earth before mankind was created. All right, and so it's in verse twenty-three. As I looked on the earth. Okay, now I would I I would argue that land is a better translation. Looked on the land. Okay, because it's talking about a particular place. The context in Jeremiah chapter four is not the globe. It's talking about a particular place. It's talking about Judah ultimately where he sees as being judged, okay? So it says, I looked on the earth and behold, it was formless and void. A wasteland, basically, is what it means. A wasteland. And to the heavens they had no, and they had no light. And I looked on the mountains and behold, they were quaking. And all the hills moved to and fro. And I looked and behold, there was no man and all the birds of the heavens had fled. Now this is pretty interesting. I looked, and behold, the fruitful land was a wilderness, and all its cities were pulled down before the Lord, before his fierce anger. Now, that is a fascinating set of verses. And someday, uh, maybe I uh, will do an MSI class on Genesis. Because what Jeremiah is doing there, 
he's describing the land, I mean, you know, the land that is desolate because it's being judged, and he's describing it almost like uh, creation has undone itself, like creation has undone itself, almost like when we get to Noah a little bit, like waters again cover the surface, uh, the surface of the deep, almost like going back and starting over again. And so Jeremiah is describing the judgment on the land as, as sort of redoing the, undoing uh, uh, creation. But he doesn't mean that literally undoing creation, right? Because he says, you know, in his next breath here, uh, in, uh, in verse 26, he says, I looked and behold, the fruitless land was a wilderness, so this is poetry, and so you have here some parallelism. He's describing, in verses 22 and 23, 24, and 25, he's describing what he is saying in verse 26. The fruitful land was a wilderness. It was once fruitful, and now it is not fruitful. It was a, it was a vibrant land, but now it is wilderness, desolate, formless, and void, uninhabitable, Okay. So I would suggest to us that what you have here in verse 2 is that God has made everything, but it is not yet inhabitable for the apex of his creation, and that is human beings. The purpose of creation was to create mankind. The purpose of the creation is mankind. What you see, I would suggest, between verses 2 uh, and uh, 26, from 2 through 25, is getting the land ready for people. Getting this land or this world ready for people. And that is why verse 26 is written totally differently from everything that comes before it. It's totally different than what comes before it, okay? Now, there's something else to be said here. Uh, you have here, um, so we'll say the, the land or the earth was uninhabitable. Darkness was over the surface of, of the abyss, of what's below. And the Spirit of God, though, is moving over the surface of the waters. Now, I think when you read this carefully, there's some things that come out here that we're not used to seeing or that we never take into consideration. There seems to be a difference between the waters and the earth. In other words, it's not the globe. That you have the Spirit of God is over the waters, but the earth is formless and void. The earth is uninhabitable. The place where people is supposed to live is uninhabitable. There's water, you know, uh, 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 covering it all, but the Spirit of God is there. It is not chaos. That is very important. There are, God bless them. There are people that believe that this is like a chaos, that this is chaos. And now the, it is hard for us to come to a 100% dogmatic understanding of the flow of all these events. Okay? So what I would say is that it was not even the intention of the writer that we would understand exactly the, the exact order of the events. But because of who we are uh, and the way we think, we force ourselves to come to conclusions on, on this, okay? 
Uh, and so you have those that would say, verse 1, God made everything, but then there is this period of time of chaos. Uh, and it could be billions and billions of years. And then God begins to create. Okay? There are some who say that. There are some who would say that um, the, uh, that, that, the, that verse 1 is a topic sentence, simply. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth as like, just like a topic sentence. And then there was nothing, there was chaos, and then God begins to create. I have a problem with all of that, personally, because I don't believe there's chaos, nor do I think that verse 2 is before things are created. Because where did all that come from? If God is the creator of everything, then he had to create the earth that's uninhabitable, the earth that's formless and void, uh, and the darkness over the deep, uh, and the water. It wasn't there from eternity. See? Uh, then you have other problems. You have other problems because then it really smacks of those Mesopotamian um, uh, 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 creation stories of, of a chaotic world and, 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 and a war that ensues and then God is victorious and, you know, and so on and so on. No, God made every In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, as we would say in the old country, shoing, <laughs> you know, period, the end. God made everything, okay, from the start. What was before the start is good for late night expressos, you know, uh, in a dimly lit room, okay? But from the start, God made everything. But it was not yet ready for humanity, okay? It was not chaos, nor was it formless, or void. It was tohu vabohu. It was uninhabitable, desolate, wilderness. Okay? All right. But the Spirit of God is moving over the surface of the waters. Now, that's very important. It's not that God is absent. It's not that this is chaotic, but it is, it is in process of being ready for human beings. Now, you can't leave this moment without going, of course, to the Gospel of John, right, at the beginning of it. And oh, what a coincidence that in verse 1, it says, in the beginning. It's there so that we would be thinking, oh, that's just like Genesis chapter 1. We're supposed to be thinking that, see? At the start... There was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came, look at that, all things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that came into being. And in Him was life, and His life was the light of men. Okay? And then you have, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. I, and that's rather interesting. It's sort of using the beginning of Genesis as a, a picture of, of yes, how I, I, uh, Yeshua is light breaking into the darkness. And what you have here is, uh, beginning now in verse 3 of Genesis chapter 1, light breaking into the darkness. Okay? Because, you know, God says he created darkness. Darkness wasn't there before creation. Nothing is, 
outside of God's creation. Okay? All right. Now, you know, it's a, there's a trick question. If you ever want to impress people, there's a trick question you can ask them. So on day one, day two, day three, day four, and I, uh, I would argue day five uh, also, what did God do? Okay? You know what the real answer Because He created everything. That's not what the Bible says. You know what he did? He spoke. That's what he did. He spoke. And God said in verse 3, okay? Uh, in verse 5, God called, called the light day. In verse 6, God said, okay? Uh, now, when, now uh, when we talk about verse uh, 7, when it says he made uh, the expanse, okay? Basically, you know what that means? When it says he made the expanse, it means he spread it out. He spread it out, okay? When you look up the Hebrew, rakia, rakia, uh, and it, uh, uh, it, it, some, uh, that is the, uh, the old English word firmament, okay? Uh, uh, some use the word vault, um, but really what it means, and, and you, you can look it up. If you, boy, if you have that Bible works in two seconds, you got that. Okay, uh, you will see that it, he, he spread it out. Okay, so some of, what does it mean he spread it out? Well, some might say, well, that, what's it means he's like the sky, he made the sky, he, you know, and, he, and he separated the water, he spread out uh, in the waters. The, the real reality is nobody knows exactly, okay? But that's basically um, uh, what it means, all right? And then you see in verse 9, God said, God called, God said, all right, God said. <laughs> so God spoke, all right? This is, uh, this is uh, a, a very, very important here. So there's two ways of understanding this, and, uh, and I think it's uh, fine and dandy either way, because again, I think in the big picture, the meaning here is to understand that God made everything, and he made it for man perfectly to live in. Good people disagree on, the, on some of the nuts and bolts here. That's okay, all right? That's okay. Uh, but what I would suggest is, is it speaks about the power of God's word, the power of his word, the power of God in that he made everything and now he's setting it up. He's setting it up just right and setting it up perfectly for mankind uh, uh, to be able to live there. Let there be light. doesn't say God created light. doesn't say it. It says, let there be light. Okay? And there, was, and there was light. And notice it says, and God saw that the light was good and separated light, uh, and separated light from the darkness. Okay? So there was darkness already. God now says, let there be light. Okay. Now, you might say, did he create the sun later on, you know, in the, uh, in the fourth day? Okay. Uh, you know, in verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from the night and let them be for signs for the seasons and for years. Right. And let them be for then in verse 15, let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, and it was so. And then it says, And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. 
He made the stars also. Okay. Uh, what I, I would suggest is that they were that all these things were created at the beginning, but God places them all in just exactly the right order and in just the right place for mankind to dwell there. That's, that's what I would suggest. It could be that, that uh, now you might be saying, wait a minute, that's okay. Verse 1 could be the topic sentence, but you're always going to have a problem with verse 2. Just where did all that stuff come from, you know? Uh, and, uh, and it's okay to say, well, God created, God created it uh, that way, uh, and then he made all the things, he created them out of nothing on the successive days. But I think that this text flows much better in understanding it by seeing it as that God made everything at the beginning. He made it all, okay? Uh, but, but not inhabitable yet. And what we read on each successive day, he is making this creation of his inhabitable for human beings because he loves us so much. He wants to, he's, when he creates mankind in his image and his likeness, he wants it to be in, a, in the perfect, pristine place. Okay? Uh, and, uh, uh, and so you can read the, you know, the, um, the rest of this. Uh, or I guess I'll read through it, but I don't want to focus on every little bit of every single day, but it's important to get this uh, big picture, right? So in verse 6, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and it separated the waters from the waters. And God made this, the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and, and it was so. Now, there is something very interesting about that, when you read about the flood and you read about the, that water comes from above and water comes from below uh, in the flood. So that's rather interesting, okay? Um, uh, there was evening and there was morning. You have, well, uh, I need to say something about that. In verse 5, when God called the light day and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning one day. I think that's fascinating when you read one day, two days, three days, four days, five days, six days. One is that uh, is just simply that that is the normative way of days, you know, evening and morning, right? Uh, day starts uh, at sundown and goes for another day. But another thing that we learn here is that God is, we see in a sense, God is creating how time is going to work. He's creating days. Uh, how the he's creating the um, the order of of uh, you know sunrise sunset uh, and then of course as we see it a few verses later days months seasons years he's setting it up just exactly right in the best way uh, for uh, human beings right then you have here in verse nine. Then God said, let the waters below, uh, uh, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let dry land appear. And it was so. Very important. Human beings live on dry land. Okay? And God called the dry land, actually in Hebrew, there's a different word here for dry land. And it says, so he called the dry land, land. <laughs> okay? Uh, and uh, the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. 
Now, before we end today, we've got to say something about this good, why, why things are good, okay? Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetables, plants yielding seed and fruit trees, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them in the, on the earth, and it was so. So the earth produces trees, okay? The earth produces vegetation. Uh, this was certainly very necessary for human beings, right? The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit, with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. What we will see in chapter 2 is that, it, is that the earth needs mankind uh, in order to oversee all of this, but mankind needs all these things also in order to live. Okay? And there was evening, there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, putting it there to separate day from night. And let them be for signs, seasons, days, and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give lights on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights. The greater light, you know, to govern the day. The lesser light to govern the night and the stars. So he made all those things, right? And they're all, they're all placed right where they're supposed to be. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate lights from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Then there was evening, there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarming and living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind and God saw that it was good. Now, you read something very interesting here. Uh, and God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the sea and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Okay? Then you have, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle in their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Okay, so we see here, God sets everything up for mankind. Why is each thing that he says considered good? I would suggest because it is good for what's coming. It's good for the creation of mankind. Okay, now, uh, everything that he makes is indeed right and perfect and just right, you see? And, and isn't it amazing when we look at the world, we say, isn't it amazing how, you know, in order for us to live here, you have to have just the right amount of oxygen, you have to have you know, just enough light and darkness and temperatures and, uh, and all of that. And that is indeed what God is setting up uh, here uh, for the purpose of creating mankind. Now, there's one other thing that I think is just kind of a, falls under the heading of interesting. The only other place where it says God created something besides man and everything at the beginning is fish. Uh, and that's kind of interesting. Okay, so, I, you know, I've thought about this and I've read things on this. <clears throat> uh, and uh, it is very possible that what is happening here in verse 21 is that he's not creating them at this time, but he is saying to the reader 
that he is the one who, has, who is creating all these things. And that and it says, and God created the sea monsters and every living creature that moves, that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind. Uh, he is saying that he is the one who makes them. Not necessarily that he's making them at this moment, but that he's the one who makes them. Or maybe he is. And, or maybe he is saying that uh, you know, uh, he's creating them, and he uses that particular word. He also says something else that's very unusual about fish. When he says, be fruitful and multiply, he blessed this like he says to people. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the sea and let, them, and let birds multiply on the earth. But when he says, you know, when he's talking about, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, it is just uh, fascinating that, that, uh, that, he said, that he says that. It's fascinating. But the overall point is, is that God is the sovereign over the world and he creates this world in such a way uh, that it is uh, uh, prepared for, for us. And he creates it by his word, by his word. And uh, we read in the Gospel of John uh, that Yeshua is indeed the incarnation of his word, right? But it is also very interesting that in um, a place like uh, Psalm 33, we read these words, beginning in verse 6. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the, water, the deeps in storehouses. All, the, all of the earth fear the Lord. All the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of nations. He frustrates the plans of people. And so, uh, and of course, then you read in the next verse, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to, to generation. So in other words, that God is the one who creates, God is the one who destroys, God is the one who brings into exile, God is the one who leads into the land, God is the overseer uh, of it all. Uh, and, you know, when you read, uh, for example, um, in um, Psalm, another Psalm, Psalm 136, we'll stop here. In Psalm 136, we're familiar with this, you know, uh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his loving kindness is forever. You know, we, we sing uh, lots of songs uh, related to that. But it is uh, interesting, in verse 5, it says, to him who made the heavens... With skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him uh, who spread out the earth above the waters. By the way, that is, see what says spread out the earth above the waters? Rakia is the word there. It's what it, okay? To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and the stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. So what you read is here, later on in history, how did people react to the beginning of Genesis? Was to give thanks and praise to God. That's how we're supposed to react to the text. That's why, even why it's there. So that we would say, wow, the God of Israel is more powerful uh, than, than anything that could be because he made everything. 
There are no other gods. There is not a moon god. There is not a sun god. There is not gods who are individual stars uh, or other gods or kings. But there is one, our God, who rules all. He is the one who took us out of Egypt. He is the one who led us in the wilderness for 40 years. And he is the one who has called us to enter into this land of, of Canaan. The one uh, who is invisible, but the one who made everything and made it all uh, 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 perfect. And now when we will continue next week, we'll see now when he creates mankind. See, the apex of creation. He's created this world for man to dwell in for a particular reason and a particular uh, fulfilling uh, purpose. And, uh, but right from the start, God made everything and he made it orderly and he made it just right uh, and he made it so that we could dwell here in, in a glorious, satisfying way. And isn't it a marvelous thing that God loved the world so much, not only uh, did he create everything, uh, but that he sent Yeshua into this world to redeem everything. The, the world, the land, all of his creation, and most particularly, humanity. What a great God we indeed have. When we embrace Yeshua, we become part of that redeemed creation part of that redeemed world. Our difficulty is that we are living in a world that is yet not redeemed, but we are. And that is where we run into, our, uh, we run into trouble. That we now have been placed back in proper order in the midst of a chaotic and disorderly world. And that is our challenge, to walk through that as Messiah followers, looking forward to the day of when complete order is restored. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your creation. Thank you, Lord, that you created this world in such a way that mankind could dwell in it. Thank you, Lord, that we see that there's so much emphasis in the Bible on the land, the land of Israel, Israel dwelling in the land, Israel being exiled out of disobedience, being brought back, the curse on the earth being, being uh, removed. Uh, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Lord, there's so much emphasis on your creation. And so, God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for the creation. We thank you that you made us. Just as a child might say, thank you, mom and dad, for getting married so that I could be born. Thank you, Lord, for your desire for mankind to live in this world. And thank you, Lord, that you created the perfect environment for us. Oh, Lord, we confess how we have messed it up. But Lord, we thank you that you loved us so much that you did not give up on us. You did not give up on us with Noah, nor at Babel, and that you called out Abraham to bless the world. Lord, we thank you that, that Israel continues to bless the world, but most magnificently in the person of Yeshua. And so, Lord, we thank you that Yeshua is indeed our blessing. He is indeed our Savior, the, the one who saves the world from annihilation one who saves the world from itself. Lord, may we all embrace the one who saves so that we might be able to be a new creation and be able to be uh, uh, restored to order. Lord, sometimes it takes a while for us to understand that. But Lord, thank you, God, 
that when we embrace Yeshua, we are restored to order. And may we live, therefore, in such a way that you have created us. And we pray in Yeshua's name.